it's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash grad admissions. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Happy Friday, friends. Welcome to another show of the Happy Hour Today we have a great show and it's kind of a follow-up from Wednesday. So on Wednesday we had Brandon Terrell on and he shared his story about his incarceration in San Quentin in California and how we met. And today on the show his his better half, his other half, I don't know what he'll say, but his wife Lacey is on the show. And I had a conversation with Brandon and Lacey a couple weeks ago in preparation for our interviews. And I knew from the minute Lacey started talking that I was going to want to have a conversation with her. Obviously, I want to hear what it was like for Lacey to be married uh, to someone who was incarcerated. But more than that, Lacey has her own story of trauma. She endured years of domestic abuse. And so I want to give you a little warning if you're listening to this. Some of the content may not be suitable for kids. You might want to listen first if you're in your car. I know a lot of mamas listen while they're driving. None of the content's inappropriate, obviously. It just might not be age appropriate. We do talk about drug abuse and we talk about uh, gun violence. So those are all things that are in the show. And I really, really, really am excited for you guys to listen to this conversation. It is such a reminder to me, both of these shows, Brandon on Wednesday and Lacey today, it is such a reminder of the goodness and faithfulness of God. And let me tell you something, if you don't have some tissues handy when she talks about her son coming to follow Jesus and how it transformed their whole lives, I'm just telling you, you're going to need some. You guys, this is a great conversation. Happy Friday, whatever you're doing. I hope you have a great weekend. We are moving and inching towards the very last week of school. We've got one more week around here. So I hope no matter what is happening today on your Friday, man, I hope as you listen to Lacey share her story, that again, it moves something in your own heart. And my hope and prayer for all of us is that when we hear people's stories about their lives, that it really does push us to love Jesus more. That's my hope for us, you guys, that we would love Jesus more through hearing the stories of the saints around us. And so I hope that does, happens for you today. You guys, here's my conversation with Lacey. Lacey, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. I told the listeners on Wednesday, as we listened to Brandon, that you were going to be here on Friday. And so here you are. I literally imagine people like on pins and needles waiting to hear this conversation (laughs) after the conversation we had on Wednesday. And so I'm super excited. Introduce yourself to us. Um, Hi, everybody. I'm Lacey. I am married to Brandon. Uh, We've been married for almost six years. Uh, We have four wonderful children. And I am busy mom. I also work full time in commercial property real estate. So busy, busy. I love it so much. Well, it's a joy to have you on. And guys, if you did not listen to the show on Wednesday, I want to make sure you don't skip it. And I actually would advise you stop now. Go listen on Wednesday. We had Brandon on, which is Lacey's husband. And talk about really what life was like for him um, because he's a former incarcerated man from San Quentin. And I got to go to San Quentin and that's where we met. And then all the things. And now here we are. Lacey, you told me 
when uh, myself and Brandon and you chatted a couple weeks ago, you told me something that I have not stopped thinking about since then. All right. And so this is what I want to start this whole show with. You told me that you and Brandon, the trauma that you'd been through and what you had been through in your life, you guys really helped each other heal. Yes. And so I want to start there and I want you to tell me a, what that means, and then go back all the way. What kind of what was going on in your life that you needed healing from? Yeah, so I think you're you're totally right. Like one of the most powerful things I feel like about our story is that um, him and I actually come from opposite backgrounds. You know, like you think about people who are incarcerated, right? That they have done something traumatic, or they have they've injured somebody in some way, um, and I was kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum where. Previous to Brandon, I was um, married for eight years and I was in a relationship with somebody who was both physically and emotionally abusive. Um, So I was coming out of that and um, I never expected to meet somebody who would heal me that was on the opposite end of the spectrum. Somebody who had been, you know, an offender and who had hurt another person, who had hurt another family um, and who had caused damage to actually be the person that came into my life and was able to give me perspective and give me healing from the trauma that I had been through. You know, when you told me that a couple of weeks ago, I really haven't stopped thinking about it. And I thought it is such the opposite of what we would think. Like we would think that someone that would help you in your healing would be someone who understand what it would feel like to be the victim. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that neither you or Brandon don't have parts of your life that fall on the other end of the spectrum. We're all people who hurt each other. It is true. But in the way that you guys have both been hurt and the way that Brandon has been an offender, it doesn't make sense logically. Mm -hmm. And so what was it? Like, talk to us a little bit about, like, what was it that Brandon was able to help you heal with knowing that he was not the victim, he was the offender? Um, So you know that, like, really catchy saying, like, hurt people hurt people? Mm -hmm. Um, There's the opposite side of it, right, where it's healed people heal people. And so I think a lot of it was just so much that he was working so incredibly hard to heal and not because like he had been hurt, but like what he did hurting others, it did hurt him. You know what I mean? And so he had to work on that part of himself and he really had to work to heal himself from the inside out. And so what it was, was the communication. I was able to communicate to him and be like, this is how this person hurt me. This is what it did to me. This is how it made me feel. This is how it still makes me feel. And he was able to take that and in turn think about the harm that he had caused. And he used that to heal himself and that part of himself. And it was vice versa for me. You know, he told me about how he had hurt a family and the way that made them feel. And it brought me to this self-realization that like, hey, you know what? My husband did something that was really, really awful, that really, really hurt a lot of people. But here's a man who is working so hard to better himself. And it helped me to find some forgiveness for the person that hurt me too. That's so interesting. I was going to ask you what that did for you in relating to your ex-husband. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is so much to forgive, you know, past the physical. The hardest part wasn't the physical part to forgive. I could forgive him for what he did to me physically. It was the emotional trauma that was the most damaging for me in the long run because it was something 
I still battled with every day. It showed up in my everyday life, the the anxiety, the nervousness. You know, I had um, PTSD and all that kind of stuff that I was still working through. And I'm, I'm to this day, I'm still working through. I still, you know, have things come up and, and things that really activate me to put me back in that space. But it's just this constant state of healing. And it was able, it allowed me to look at him and also see his pain, his suffering, the reason why he, you know, did the things that he did, which again, doesn't make it right. But I could, I could step back and be like, you know what? He is also hurting too. Mm. You know, Lacey, I was thinking when you and I chatted, I don't know that I've ever had a conversation on the happy hour with a woman that I know of, like she could have had Mm -hmm. a part of her story that she wasn't telling me or whatever, but with a woman specifically about domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about that after we talked and I was like, I don't know how I've never talked about this. And I think honestly, it's one of those things that if it doesn't affect you personally, it's not Mm -hmm. that you don't know it's there for sure. Right. But you just think like, oh, I don't even know anyone that's in a domestic abuse situation. And so yep. I guess I would love to even just hear from you. If, when you hear me say like, I don't think I know anyone that has been abused by their husband. Yeah. That's probably a false statement. Isn't I it? guarantee you it's false okay. because most women who are in abusive relationships, it's not something they're going to come out and tell you, right? Because they don't want they don't want you to judge their situation, right? They don't want you looking in. And I think for me, like I was forthcoming with the information in a way to where my family, my friends, like they knew things weren't right. They knew I was struggling. They knew I had these things going on, but like I could never come out and say, um, you know, oh yeah, yesterday I got into an argument with my spouse and they threw me in the street and kicked me in the stomach while I was four Mm -hmm. months pregnant. And why, why, like, why can't we just come out and say that? Right. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's so many things. And like I said, the, the psychological part of the abuse is what really stops us from talking about it because we don't want to be judged. And then we always get that question. Well, why don't you just leave, just leave, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And it's like, on this side of it, like, yeah, like it seems so simple, like just walk away. Don't, don't tolerate that. But you have to remember, like, there's so much psychologically that while they're hurting you physically, they're hurting you psychologically. They're telling you things, you know, you'll never, you're not worth anything. You'll never do better than me. Like, and then there's the other part of like my, my ex has been, he would hurt me physically, but then he would go afterwards when he felt really bad about it and, and spoil me buy me things. And for me too, a lot of the physical abuse came with his drug drug abuse. When mm-hmm. he was high, it was like being married to Jacqueline Hyde, right? When he was high, he was out of control. And that's when most of the damage came. But when he was sober, I loved the person that he was. And that was the person that I wanted to save. I wanted to fix. So I kept thinking like, I can change this. This will stop something. This will happen. I'll have this baby and it'll fix it. Mm-hmm. And my situation, the physical abuse did get better after I did have our first son, but the emotional abuse never start, never, never stopped. But that's where I justified. That was my justification. At least he's not hitting me. Mm-hmm. 
If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. You know, I was having a conversation with a friend recently and there was a, I live in Austin and there was a domestic abuse situation in the news and her and I were talking about it and she told me a story about how she had been friends with a woman. This was a long time ago and um, the woman had gone to the police to tell about her abuse Mm -hmm. and then everything just got real all of a sudden and they were about to like, you know. put stuff into action and all of a sudden she recanted and she's like no 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 no. just give them to me I can take care of this it's okay Mm -hmm. the same person who I don't remember where they lived at the time Minnesota or something the same person who had just like done some of the things that you're just uh, saying and in my mind as someone who's never been at the hand of abuse I'm like I don't understand like why wouldn't she just turn him in can you talk to us about what that feels like in that moment? Because you just said, like, you thought to yourself, I can change him. I can fix him. I can do this. And so what is that thought that's having in your mind? Because I think that helps us be more empathetic towards women who are in abuse situations. Um, So I think it's a couple different things for different individuals. For me specifically, it was fear. Um, Not for fear what was going to happen to him if he got arrested. I could have have cared less about him Mm -hmm. going to jail the fear was is that I knew eventually he was going to come home. And when he got out, he was going to come find me. And those were things, those were threats that I lived with every single day. If you go to the cops, if you do this, if you do that, I will find you. I will hurt you. I will kill you. I will go to your grandparents' house. I know where your family lives. So in my mind, there was no end to the abuse, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't just going to affect me. It was going to carry over to my family um, and to the people that I loved. So I think that's one big part of it, just the Mm -hmm. fear. And the second big part of it, I think, is that these guys are usually so smart and they're so good at manipulation that they tell you everything you want to hear. I'm never going to hit you again. Please don't do this to me. I'll change. I'll get help. All these things. And you love them, so you believe them. Mm -hmm. So you save them. And I think, you know, it's just a cycle. It's it's an abuse cycle and you just – 
it's a carousel that you just can't, you can't get off. You know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with some friends last night and I was telling a story. It doesn't relate to this at all, but I was engaged at one point and broke off the engagement. And I said, the thing that made it so hard, and again, this is not the same situation, but when you just were saying like, you love him, I was like, I loved this guy. I was just mm-hmm. seeing all these red flags. I couldn't marry him, but I loved him so deeply. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with you and your ex-husband, there's love there, especially when you said when he wasn't high, this was the man I wanted to be with. Yeah. And so I have, I have a question, like what, what, I know you're not married to him now because you're married to Brandon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was it that allowed you to be set free from that relationship? <laughs> um, a traumatic event. So as I mentioned, he was a drug, a drug abuser. Um, and maybe I shouldn't say drug abuser. Like we don't say, you know, incarcerated. Maybe I say he's an individual who struggles with drug addiction. We're trying um, to use our people first language here. Yes. I'm, yes. I'm trying to be conscious of how I label or things I say. Um, yeah. So he was struggling with addiction and um, he'd been sober for about eight to nine months, which was a good, pretty good run for him. And there, there had been so much craziness, Jamie. Like there had been so many times that I was like, this is it. This is it. This is it. Um, but this last time I had just had our third child. So my fourth child, um, cause I have an older daughter from a previous relationship. So his and I's third child. And she was about, um, gosh, she had to be like, I don't even know now. I can't even put the time frames together, but she was little, she was an infant and he was downstairs in our kitchen and our bedroom at the time was right above our kitchen. Um, and he was downstairs in our kitchen. He was under the influence and a gun went off in our house. Mm. And when it went off, it went up through our ceiling and was about two feet away from where she was sleeping next to my bed. And I woke up, I went downstairs you know, when you're sleeping and you like hear a sound, you can't like, what's put it together. Yeah. So I went downstairs and I saw the hole in the ceiling and I said, did you shoot that hole in the ceiling? And he goes, no. And I said, you did. Like you obviously did. You're the only person down here. Right. And he was like, I have to leave. Started arguing with me. And I, I was like, where are you going? You know, it's the middle of the night. It's like 12 o'clock in the morning. Where are you going? He's like, I have to get gas. And I'm like, you don't need to be driving. Like you're intoxicated. Why don't you go to bed? We'll figure this out tomorrow. And he was like, no, I'm leaving. And I was like, if you leave, I'm done. Like, I'm actually done. So he left and I went upstairs. I went back to bed and I was like, I'm in the morning. I'm done. I'm going to pack my stuff. I'm not living like this. I'm not doing this to my children any longer. And so he left and he never came back. And so I woke up about three in the morning to go see if he had come back. Because usually he would fall asleep in the garage when he was, you know, that intoxicated. And he didn't come back. And I looked at my phone and my mother-in-law called me a bunch of times at all these missed calls. Well, I ended up going to leave our neighborhood and there was only one way in and one way out where we lived. And they had the whole entire neighborhood blocked off. The cops said, you couldn't get in, you couldn't get out. And I just knew. And I, mm. so I went, pulled over to the officer and I'm like, listen, my husband left. I don't know where he is. He never came back. Was there an accident? And he's like, there is, but I can't tell you anything. And I was like, if I told you the vehicle, could you just tell me if that vehicle was involved? So they had a detective come over to me and it was him. He had hit another truck head on leaving the neighborhood. Um, and they had to air back him to a hospital and long story short, he ended up having hundred cc's of blood on his brain. They didn't tell us if he was going to make it out of the surgery. They didn't know he made it out of the surgery. He made a full recovery within six weeks and was back home. And here I am because I told him I was going to leave him. And I'm like, well, I can't leave now. 
So I stayed. So he came home from the hospital. Six months later, he relapsed again. And the doctors had told us because of the part of the brain that he, that he injured, they didn't know what that would look like, right? Like they're like all of his emotions and everything might be heightened. Mm. Um, so when he relapsed this time, he was absolutely psychotic. I don't know how else to say it. Um, he wanted to find a gun so he could shoot himself. And then it became he wanted to find a gun so he could shoot me and himself. And so that night I called one of my best friends and I was like, you need to get here right now. Um, I need you to help me get out of this house. And his sister had come into town and she was at our house as well. And that was actually how he ended up getting high because she had her Xanax prescription in her purse. Mm. And he found it and ate the whole entire bottle. Um, So I was like, told his sister, I was like, you need to get him out of the house because I need to get myself and my children out of the house safely. And so she took him to the store. Um, We lived in Arizona where gun control was a little bit different. So we had guns and stuff in our house. So my friend and I started packing up all the guns so that he could have them and find them. Um, So we put them all in her trunk of her car because he knew that we had a, we obviously had a safe, but he knew the combination. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that had happened. And as we were done, they pulled back up and I was like, oh my gosh, we're stuck. But at least there's no weapons. No guns. Yeah. So, um, they came in and he's like, I'm going to go out back and smoke a cigarette. And so our, our back door had like a sliding glass door that but you could see all the way through it to our front door. And I told my friend, I said, as soon as he goes outside, you go grab two of my babies. I'll grab my other babies. And we run. And that's what we did. We went in, we grabbed the babies. He saw us through the sliding glass door and came in the house and chased the kids and I out of the house with a knife in his hand. And my best friend slammed the screen door and told me to get in my car and drive away. And that's what I did. And that was it. I never looked back. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. I see. I'm like, this is, I'm like having a moment of like, it feels like you're giving, you're reading me a movie script and I hope that's not offensive, but it sounds no. so like, wow. Okay. And so you leave, he's literally chasing mm-hmm. you. Um, violence is all around you. Um, I'm curious as to what your faith was like in this, in this time of your life. Like, I know that you love Jesus now. What did that look yeah. like then? Um, so I was a believer at the time. Um, a couple years before that, actually, my oldest son, who's 15 now, he was really struggling with death and dying and like waking up every night, coming to my room, being like, mommy, I don't want to die. Like, I'm so scared to die. And like, you know, just really struggling with that whole concept of death. And he came home from school one day and we we're driving in the car and he goes, mama, I just want you to know I'm not afraid to die anymore. 
And I'm like, that's great, buddy. But like, how did you get there? Right? Like, and he's like, well, Jesus and his angels were sitting on my bed last night. And they told me that I don't need to be scared to die because Jesus has already died for me. And when I die, I get to go home and be with him. And I literally, it still makes me ball my eyes out to this day because I had to pull my car over and like have that moment of where did this come from? I never talked to my kids about Jesus. I never talked to my kids about dying. And so I literally sat in my car and started calling all of my closest friends. Hey, did you have this conversation with my son? No. I called his preschool teacher who was actually Mormon. And so I was like, listen, like this is what Kane told me. And she's like, nope, didn't come from me. And so I got home that night and I just like asked him again. I'm like, tell me again. And he's like, mom, I'm telling you, Jesus sat on the end of the bed and told me I don't need to be scared to die. And I'm like, that's it. We're going to church. So we literally started going to church and that's pretty much how I came to know Jesus and my kids have a relationship with Jesus. And um, yeah, I've never been able to rationalize or, you know, how that happened other than it was true that he really saw Jesus in that, in that moment and that brought him that peace. Wow. I was not expecting that, Lacey. I know. Um, you know, it's crazy because, you know, we just did a series in April on the happy hour on unreached people groups. And we, we pray for unreached people groups around the world, like to mm-hmm. literally see Jesus in dreams. Like we pray for that all the time. And I just think, man, what would it look like as parents as we prayed? You just give me a great hope for like Jesus to show up to my kids in dreams. Yeah. Um, so you escape and you get through and and I and I understand that probably freedom from that also came at a cost. I mean, now you're a single mom with four kids. Yeah. And so you might have had freedom from there. We could spend a lot of time talking about what happens next, but I would yeah. love if we could fast forward a little bit to when you and Brandon meet because here's the deal. After I got done with Brandon's episode, I was telling a friend here and I was like, "Listen, Listeners are going to have so many questions because we did not fill in any of the blanks. <laughs> I was yeah. like, but Lacey's going to come on and we're going to fill in the blanks. And so okay. I would love for you to fast forward a little bit. I don't want to be insensitive to pushing no, past what fine. you went through in those years. But I do want to fast forward a little bit to now you are a single mom, four kids. Yeah. We know you're married to Brandon now, but tell us how this all happened. Um, so I used to tattoo model. And in doing that, which let's just pause for a second. <laughs> you told me that a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, "That's the coolest job I've ever heard." Tattoo model. Okay, carry on. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but anyways, I would like go do conventions and stuff like that. And so Brandon used to um, be friends with another girl that I tattoo modeled with, and that's when him and I had like met. But um, obviously, this I was is married previous. At the time. That was previous to his incarceration. Am Correct. I right? Yes. Okay, I was so married. I the timeline. Yes. This was pre-incarceration. Um, so we had known each other. But um, I was just scrolling on Facebook and I saw his profile and I was like, oh my gosh, like I know him, I remember him, sent friend requests. And then um, I had no idea like what had happened, right? Like I didn't know anything that had happened to him, whatever. So um, he ended up messaging me and I was like, you know, oh, hey, Facebook told me to tell you hi, but like also do you remember me? And um, he wrote me back. And then I was like, started looking through his profile and stuff and I was like, this guy's in prison. And so <laughs> he ended up writing me back and I was like, you know, how do you have a phone? He was like, don't worry about that. We're not going to go there. And I was like, okay. But, um, we really just started talking and communicating and I wasn't looking for anything. You know, I was figuring out my life, what that looked like as being a mom. 
um, being a provider, you know, all the things. And so it just was a lot of communication and talking. And I don't think I'd ever had a male role figure in my life other than my grandfather that I'd ever been able to communicate with like that. Mm. So that's what really how this? it started. This was what 2016. 2016. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, you guys connect over Facebook and then you start communicating. I'm assuming like like phone calls and phone stuff calls, like that. letters, writing. Yeah. yeah. Old yes. school mail. Yeah. Yes. And so I have to ask the question that everyone's going to be wondering, were any of your friends like, Lacey, what in the actual heck are you doing? Because this man is in prison. Um, you know what? No, because my life had kind of been crazy. Right. And like I'd been through so much craziness and Brandon made me really happy and really calm. And I felt really safe. Um, just being able to tell him how I felt. And so I think at that time, they just kind of saw it as, we'll just let her do this. This is what she kind of needs. Um, but I don't think any of us ever expected that we were going to get fall in love and get married. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I also want to ask you, and you've talked about this a little bit, and I think it's just important to talk through, is like you had left one like violent situation. Mm-hmm. Brandon, we both know him. I'm, I mean, you you would love him. You're married to him. And I've been around him once in my life. And I see yeah. the transformation <laughs> in his life. But also you're entering into a relationship with someone who everyone else would say is also a violent person. Yeah. Can you tell me, how did you justify that in your brain, in your heart? Um, because I don't see that. I mm. don't look at him and see violence. I look at him and see healing and compassion and love. And so... Does he and have you a, saw that from the get-go? I, I'm not going to lie to you. Yes. I knew from within like seven days that this was like somebody who was probably going to be in my life for a long time and who made me feel really safe. And so I saw that in him immediately. Mm. And it is like, it is something like, you know, there's, we still have his victim's family out here who has a lot of things to say. And I know my husband has made very poor choices in the past, but I don't see that person in front of me today. And so we all have, I mean, you know, like we talked, Brandon and I talked about that, like we all have. And so it yeah. is just, okay. So you guys meet Facebook, you start phone calls. This is 2016. Yeah. And then the big question, you get married, like we talk married. us through this. <laughs> well, I mean, it just kind of happened. Like we just fell in love, like through communication and, um, I have, like that was so different for me also. Um, I feel like a lot of relationships I was in in the past, like there was always this physical component, mm-hmm. right? Like you see each other, there's physical attraction and you build these relationships based on what somebody can give you physically. And with Brandon, he couldn't give me anything physically. It was all emotional support. It was all communication. Um, so yeah, I mean, we fell in love and then just like anybody else, he got down on one knee and asked me to marry him in the visiting room and I said yes, and then we got married in the visiting room, and um, yeah, it's just been, it's something that I don't ever regret, you know, and Mm -hmm. I've met a few people along the way that, you know, have been like, why would you do this? Like, Mm -hmm. you think this is the best decision, and you think this is good for your, you know, like we've had those naysayers in our lives, but um, I think the life that we've built and the family that we have is just speaks volume to that man, if you really have that faith in Jesus that he can renew your soul and your spirit 
And like, this is the fruit of it. We're the living fruit of what Jesus can do. So I love that so much. And um, I said this in Brandon's episode, and I, I know I said it to you when I chatted to you earlier, is that after I went to San Quentin and I did the tour and Brandon was on the tour with us. And at the end, I was like, Brandon, I would really love it if you'd come on my, my podcast and share your story. And he said, well, you really need to have my wife on because she's like the true hero. And so I think I want to ask you, like, what was that like being on the outside while your husband's on the inside and you're having to, which you had been already, support your family, you know, and then also let's all remember COVID happened in the midst of all this. And so then I would, I can only imagine that you didn't get to see Brandon for a while with COVID lockdowns. And so talk us through what it was like for you to be living your life on the outside day to day, constantly wondering, is he going to get lit? Is he going to do the whole sentence? When's he coming home? What was that like? Yeah. So I think the first couple years, like that was a very obsessive thought. Like, how do I make this go faster? Right? Like, how do I do this? How do I, um, here you are like in this, this stage, you know, when you first meet somebody and it's like all butterflies and you yeah. just want to be with them all the time. Um, that obviously wasn't possible for us. So the beginning of our relationship looked like a lot of communication, a lot of visiting, um, just spending that time together when we got the opportunity. And then, like you said, COVID happened and we didn't see each other for 15 months. So because the, because the prison was on, I'm sure on lockdown no, no, quarantine, one in. no yep. visitors. So that was crazy not to be able to see each other. Um, but we just kept up with our communication and I have to say, and this is, this is kind of hard for me to say because Previous to Brandon, I was like a serial dater. I didn't know how to be alone. I was not good at that. Um, since the time I turned 18, I had my first baby at 19. I had been with somebody back to back, whether mm-hmm. it was my daughter's dad and then I got married and, you know, if I dated in between. So I didn't know how to be alone. So in this really crazy way, I feel that God knew what I needed. He knew I needed to be alone, but I feel like he also knew that I needed to have somebody. Mm-hmm. And in a crazy way, he gave me the best of both worlds mm-hmm. because he gave me the time to be alone and figure out, first of all, how to deal with all of the trauma, right? How to address the PTSD and, and deal with the anxiety and all those things. And then he threw me into a career, something that I never really had and didn't know that I needed. Um, so I started a job and worked my way up. And so here I am now, you know, figuring all these things out. And then he gave me the opportunity just to be with my babies all the time mm-hmm. um, and be a mom and figure out who I was because I lost so much of who I was. So mm-hmm. for me, Brandon's incarceration was so healing because I knew I had him. I knew he loved me. I knew he supported me. We had great communication, but I was able to grow so much during that time. Um, but it's hard. I don't want to like fantasize that it's, it's hard not being with the person you love. And it's, it's hard being a single mom, especially in California. Like it's crazy out here. It's crazy expensive. Um, so it came with struggles of course, but I just had this faith that everything was going to be okay. And Brandon was going to come home and it was all going to be in God's perfect timing because I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out the time I had to just here you go. I'm going to let you Mm -hmm. God deal with this because me trying to deal with it means craziness. So, and so I asked Brandon this question. I'd love to ask you, but the time of our recording, he's been home, what, five, six months, Mm, six, I think this is seven. I think 
Yeah. Half a year, you guys have been in the free world. What was that day like for you? Uh, It was, it was almost unreal, right? Like this is all everything you've anticipated and waited for and all of these things. Um, And then it just happens. And then my biggest thing was like, then what? You know, (laughs) right? I've waited and I've thought about this day for all these times and and it was so amazing and incredible having him home and like, but, but, but now what do we do? Because we don't have anything that we're quote unquote waiting for, you know? And that was the hardest part for us to figure out, not hard, but just like what's next, you know? And I think when you have a relationship like ours, that is all communication, like you talk about all the things you want, all the things you want to do. And you kind of build this like fantasy world in your brain. Like this is how it's all going to be. And then you come home and then it's like reality of like, oh, wait, I still have to work a job and he has to work a job and he has to go check in with parole. And like we have all these responsibilities. And so, um, yeah, we're just living real life, you know, together. So what was it like for you to have maybe for the first time ever a father figure in the home that you trusted your kids with that you knew was going to like care for them and love them and had a faith that you shared? What has that been like? Yeah. And it's been really good. It, um, you know, the kids obviously went into the prison, they visited Brandon. Um, and so they had a relationship, you know, but still like I have a 15 year old son who's been the man of the house, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So there's obviously those adjustments and those things. And I'm, I'm mama bear, you know what I mean? Like, even though I love and trust my husband, I'm Mm -hmm. still like ready to go to war for those kids if I need to, because that's been one of the hardest things for me. And I didn't know this until Brandon came home and started to physically parent Mm. the children was that I had all this guilt and the shame that I carried for staying in the relationship for so long. And not that my ex never hurt my kid, like never physically hurt our children, but I still felt like I didn't do a good job protecting them. And so that's something that I'm working through now because, you know, Brandon will be having a deep conversation with one of our kids and I'm like, oh, is it getting too intense? You know, like, do I need to jump in? And like, then I'm like, you need to sit back and just Mm. relax. So there's things coming up for me that I didn't realize I was going to struggle with because I haven't physically been in the presence of a man, you know, in all that time. So you talked about how you guys have been such a good healing part for each other. And I know that was true at the beginning when you guys developed your relationship through great communication and letter writing and phone calls. What does that look like for today? Because you're both still on a journey of healing. Mm-hmm. You know, Brandon's been out seven months. Um, you have a past that's been super traumatic in his own way. He has a past that's been super traumatic. Yeah. What does it look like for two people who are trying to heal together, uh, who are bringing all their own stuff to the table, trying to follow Jesus, trying to parent four kids? How are you guys intentional about that healing together? Yeah, I think, again, it's just is a lot of conversations. Um and for me, it's been, like I said, all these little surprise things that I didn't know were going to um, be activating for me. Um, we have we have a really good friend who runs on-site. They're in mental health, um, rehabilitation, all kinds of things. And we used to always say triggered. Brandon and I used to be like, I'm triggered. Um, but then with all the school shootings and stuff, they told us how that word could be activating to other people. So now we try to use the word activate. If you hear me using that word, that is why. Um, But 
so yeah, I mean, that's just been one of our things is like, if we feel something like we need to say it and I am, I'm not the communicator in the relationship. He's the communicator. He's the emotional one. Um, but it's just this, like, it's a journey, right? And it's just figuring out what works, figuring out what doesn't work, um, counseling, you know, whatever it takes just to build that relationship and continue that healing and communication. I think that you and Brandon are not unique in that. Every couple, every relationship, every sister and brother, mom and daughter, everyone that is in a relationship with anyone is having to learn that dance and walk that dance. And especially for Mm -hmm. those close relationships, like parent and child and spouses of like having the the um the ability to trust someone that when you say hey this is activating me or this is triggering me Mm -hmm. that they don't take it personally and they're like okay how do we walk through this and that takes a lot of work and so good job to you guys for doing the work there because it's hard it's not easy and i'm i say what i'm thinking and i'm not like i'm not always a I don't know the right word to use, but I just kind of say it, right? Like I'm very Mm -hmm. blunt. Blunt, yeah. Yeah. And so Brandon does a good job of not taking me personal and actually looking at the meaning in my words instead of like the way my tone's coming out or, you know, so yeah. But it is, it's like the people that we were were when he was in prison are not the people that we are today all the way you know there's a lot of things that I didn't ever know about him that he liked to do that maybe drive me kind of crazy now and vice versa but it's like we had no way to know those things (laughs) until now so it's just like we're still learning we're still growing but at the end of the day like we know how much we love each other and so it makes all of that worth it before I ask you what you're reading I want to just ask you that if there's anyone listening and they feel that they're in a relationship that is an abusive relationship, whether that is emotionally, psychologically, um, physically, spiritually, even like what, and I know that we could do an entire show on this, but if you just had to like, if you had just one thing to say to them as they're listening, what would you say? Ask for help. And that's such a hard thing. Um, but ask for help and just keep fighting. Like, don't, don't give up. It can change. And it can get better, but you have to find that person you trust. Sorry, I know that's not one thing, but... No, you can say as many things as you want. I think that's helpful to know it can get better. Yeah, this is something that is really passionate for me and something that I've, like, God's really been poking at me for because I, I have to say while I'm on here, like, one of the biggest reasons I didn't ever leave also was because I didn't have the stability to leave. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a home. I didn't have my own car. So I didn't have these things that I needed to leave. And then I didn't have the family or the friends who were like, let me take you and put you here and help you out in this way. And I think that's huge for a lot of people who are going through it. Um, And so something Brandon and I have been brainstorming and thinking about that I really want to do is um, start a nonprofit to provide that for women who want to leave. And I love dogs. You probably heard my dogs earlier. I have dogs and my dog at the time, he's actually right there behind me. Um, he was my saver savior. Like so many times, like when I was hurt, like he would protect me. And so I want to be able to offer that to other women. Like I want to be able to get dogs and equip them to be personal protection dogs. Like we use for other things. Um, and women who are coming out of the domestic violence situation and give them some sort of protection, right? 
where they feel safe and confident that if there's that situation and they feel like they're going to be found, like you have something that's ready to go. Um, and I want to just be able to have a safe place for those women who need to go and figure out the way to get, get them there and bring them there and give them the skills that they need to not go back. Because I left so many times, Jamie, it's not like I didn't ever leave. I left, but I wasn't able to sustain myself or my children. So I went back. And I think that's the the biggest thing is that we can get out. We can usually get out, but how long can we stay up? And that's what, that's what these women need. They need the opportunity to get out, have a safe place to live, maybe learn some life skills, get some counseling, get some help where they can be out on their own and have this and have stability. And have a place where they can bring their kids with them. I mean, that also is a hindrance so many times of there's a women's mm-hmm. shelter, but they don't allow kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard some of these same sentiments from my friends, Holly Hayes and Rebecca Bender, who've both been on the show and were uh, sex trafficking survivors. Same thing from their mm-hmm. um, traffickers, that same kind of brainwashing, that same like, I have nothing. I can't leave. What would I do? Um, well, I can't help but see the beauty in how you and Brandon are both giving back and serving and desiring to make things better from situations you both came out of, whether that is the incarcerated population or women who are survivors of domestic abuse. And so I am just over here like one big proud fan, just clapping my hands <laughs> for you guys. And I can't wait to see what Thank you guys you. do. Um, Lacey, what are you reading these days? Oh my goodness. I don't I don't know if I should admit this on this podcast. Go for um, it. I am like a fantasy romance. I love mm-hmm. all things fairy. Um, I just finished a really good book called The God of Endings. It's, okay. it's actually about a 10-year-old girl who um, died of consumption, but her grandfather turned her into a vampire. Okay. And then it was like this very kind of dark life. Um, but I haven't gone to anything new yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm also reading a really good self-help book called It Didn't mm-hmm. Begin With, I think it's It Didn't Start With Me or Didn't Begin With Me, about um, generational trauma and how we carry that in our bodies and stuff like that. So. I love it. I always try to read something for fun and something uh you feel. (laughs) I love that so much. Work all of the parts of your brain. Um, Yes. Lacey, it's been a true joy and honor to have uh, you on the show today. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for for having me. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you going into the prison. I don't think many people know what that that does for the guys that are in there and the morale that it gives them. And um, it's people like you who have helped my husband heal. So thank you. Friends, I wanted to add this at the end of this conversation that if you are a woman who is looking for some help, um, there are, I hope there are resources in your town, but if you want to email us, we would love to get you connected to someone maybe in your town or even Lacey can help you with that. And if you're listening and you're like, man, I have resources. I want to help Lacey create this dream that she has of a nonprofit. Man, I am praying that there's somebody listening that wants to be a part of that as well. If you have anything, send us an email at jamie at jamieivy.com. The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. Executive produced by Jamie Ivy, produced by Lindsay Sweeney, edited by Angie Elkins, show notes by Nikki Ogden, art by Jen Jet Barrett, original music by Matt Graham, and I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend. It's 
time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gratitude. Admissions.